Hello, my good friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is going to be episode 145. Episode 145 of The Informed Catholic. So if you like what I do and you think I'm doing a good job, please subscribe and share. I would greatly appreciate it. So uh, let's begin with our opening prayer. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come, O Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, you instructed thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. So grant us by the same Holy Spirit to be ever watchful and make right judgment in all things and ever rejoice in his consolation. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, for this podcast, I ask you to please open our minds and hearts and the very depth of our being to your holy word as we study the gospel according to St. Mark. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Queen of the Rosary, pray for us. St. Joseph, Guardian of the Holy Church, pray for us. St. Peter the Apostle, pray for us. St. Mark the Evangelist, pray for us. And St. Paul, pray for us. St. Athanasius, pray for us. St. Ambrose, pray for us. St. Jerome, pray for us. And St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. And all you holy angels and saints, please pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. So, last week, we started looking into the Gospel of St. Mark. And what I'm going to do is, I'm going to read we're going to go we're, kind of, we're sort of going to do a review uh of what we did last week we're going to go over everything uh and then we're going to try to touch upon uh make some progress to the next verse because um i think it's important because how to understand how to read the scriptures as through the senses and we're not going to be picky about like which, how to use this sense or how to use that sense. As we go along, we'll, we'll put in a category. So let's begin. Uh, I'm going to read the um, from, chapter, from chapter 1, verse 1 to 8, okay? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And there went out to him all the country of Judea, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. 
Now John was clothed with camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One more time, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And there went out to him all the country of Judea, and all the people of Jerusalem, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I have, a thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's review what we went through. Last week, um, we started with the Gospel according to St. Mark. And history has shown us that the Gospel according to St. Mark is really St. Peter's gospel. It's according to his preaching, his teaching, his ministry style. And he also, it's also rooted in apostolic doctrine with the original 12. We know from St. Irenaeus and St. Athanasius and even uh, from several other early church fathers that it's rooted in St. Peter. St. Mark wrote his gospel according to the preaching and teaching of what he heard from St. Peter, and he wrote down, not in any particular order, but according to the style and teaching and ministry of St. Peter. And it makes sense because of the eyewitness account. Now, um, all four Gospels, but Mark mainly belongs in what's called the Synoptic Gospel. But all four Gospels, let's just say, are not, are not signed by the original Apostles. We don't have the original autograph copies. We have copies of copies of copies. And people should really look at that as an obvious fact. An obvious fact 
that we have something from um, that came down from apostolic uh, history that it's obvious that we would have copies. These things started to circulate. They started to circulate quickly. If you have a, a faith that's open to everyone, that's accessible to um, slaves, women, elderly, uh, the underprivileged, you also have uh, a, a faith that is uh, welcoming you have to look, you have to see that it's it's going to spread. It's going to spread quickly. All right. The main purpose of the gospel is to preach and teach. And it also, it's broken out from just being limited to the Jewish nation. It's welcoming and calling all. Go out into the whole world and preach and teach the gospel to every creature, the hunger and thirst. That's the Great Commission. Now, um, we also um, have to start looking at several words. We started breaking up chapter 1, verse 1. Okay, but I want to get out of the way uh, just the title or the, the beginning of the word gospel. Now, you can find it in the Greek version of Isaiah. In the Septuagint, you'll find the word quite common. Good tidings, good news, good news to all. And we see that in, uh, in several parts because... But let's focus on not just the, uh, from Isaiah's perspective, let's focus on the gospel from the secular perspective. Let's look at it from the, the perspective of the empire, the perspective of the Romans, um, the, the Greeks. The word comes down to us mainly from the Greek version. And... If we look at it from the Greek version, it was used as propaganda, military propaganda, political propaganda, as well as from the perspective of Imperial Rome. Good news, victory is ours. Um, Evangelion. Okay, good news, uh, a good message. Good message to all. We have defeated the enemy. Uh, the victory is ours. The gods have blessed us with victory. The gods have, 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 uh, have blessed us with good tidings. And that's one way to look at it. Uh, good news, Caesar rules. Uh, good news, Rome rules the world. Good news for all mankind. So, you know, in a sense, you can see it. I mean, today, good news Caesar is born today. Uh, good news, Caesar is God. It's, it's very, it's used for, for, um, for propaganda. Uh, I think the best way we can say it. Now, um, why would Jesus Christ, why would the Christians 
adopt us? And the answer, the best way we can say is, is because good news, death is defeated. Good news, sin is broken. Christ has broken sin's hold on the world. Sin's hold, the devil's hold on mankind. And it's, 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 it belongs to the person of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good message of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the good news of the father from mankind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And yes, something that Caesar can't do, something that the high priest in the temple can't do. I wrote down here notes. Uh, I guess you can say it's spelled for EU in English, which is good. Then there's Angelos, messenger. Evangelion, Greek. Then the Latinized. If you have the Latinized versions, Bana Anatatetio, or again, the Latinized version, Evangelium, Good News. Uh, yeah, Roman emperors used it uh, as propaganda to cry victory. Good news, Rome has won. Caesar has won. Good news for, man, for, for mankind. Good news for all. The, the word, uh, uh, Angelus, the Angelus Messenger, good news to all. Gospel is not a new word. It's not something that was invented as soon as Christ came to the world. It was a word that was always used and it was found in the, uh, mainly you can find it in the version of Isaiah. Good tidings to the one whose feet bring good news on the mountain. And that's referred to Jesus. Uh, the early Christians associated with him. So now we have that out of the way. We have the gospel out of the way. Okay, so remember. In the New Testament, the gospel, good news. There's only one, one good news. And that good news belongs to Jesus Christ, one person. It's only associated with one person. There is no other gospel in the world. There is no other te um, gospel teaching in the world. Okay. There, there is no other way to liberate yourself from sin. It's only in Jesus. There is no other way to liberate yourself from death. Only in Jesus. There is no other freedom from the devil. Only in Jesus. There is no other way, good news of salvation. Only in Jesus. The gospel belongs to him. Salvation comes only from him. Freedom from sin only comes from him. Okay? Freedom, uh, uh, freedom to over, uh, the, the ability or the means to overcome the devil. That grace, that, that power only comes from him. So... Make 
make sure your our minds and our hearts realize there is no other access to life, eternal life, only in Jesus. All right? Freedom from sin, only in Jesus. To be born again, only in Jesus Christ. Okay? The gospel, only in him. Only one person. The gospel is rooted and and the gospel is accessible. Eternal life is accessible only in Jesus Christ. We got that out of the way. All right, let's move on. Now, the earliest manuscripts of the second gospel are titled according to Mark. Now, the word according is kata. Mark, okay? Kata is according. Markon, Markon, okay, which is a Greek version, is belonging to Mark. Uh, like I said, this heading is not part of the original work, but was added by the early Christians. It summarizes the church's uniform tradition that Mark, a disciple of Simon Peter, wrote the second gospel. Although Mark did not write as an eyewitness of Christ's public ministry, he was a channel of apostolic tradition through Peter, who was his primary source of information about the life of Jesus. His association with Peter is evident in both the New Testament and the testimony of the early church. Okay, uh, with uh, the early church. Within the New Testament, Peter refers to his companionship with my son Mark in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 13 an interpreter ha, uh, have noted that the general outline of Mark's gospel is similar to Peter's presentation of the gospel in Acts chapter 10 verse 36 to 43 alright um, let's look at that a little bit alright uh Gentiles hear the good news. Let's go. We start from thirty-four. And Peter opened his mouth and said, "Truly, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation only one fears Him and does what is right. If if uh, one who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him, you know the word which He sent." to the sons of Israel, preaching good news of peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. The word which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good, new, uh, good, good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses to all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. For God raised him on the third day and made him, made him manifest, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he commanded us to preach to the people 
and to testify that he is the one ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Okay, and what goes on here? While Peter was still saying this, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who came with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone forbid water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then he asked, then they asked him to remain for some days. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. So that event, we have to say, had a big, major effect on St. Peter that the gospel was accessible to all, that it broke out from the confines of Judaism. We tend, to, we tend to focus on Paul as the one who wanted to preach the gospel. But with all honesty, I think that Peter's, the news that Peter went and entered a Roman home, uh, spoke and baptized a Roman family, an entire household from the 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 leader, the head of the family, the wife and kids, the, the servants, his friends, everyone under that house. And the fact that it was the angel appeared to a God-fearing Roman who, a righteous Roman, a Roman who wasn't circumcised, but was listening to the Bible, hearing the word of God being preached in a Hellenistic uh, uh, synagogue. And a patron of, of, uh, of a synagogue who is ready to become a patron of the church had a tremendous effect on St. Peter that he saw that God was going to use him to bring the word of God to the Roman Empire. So that in itself is an important thing. So Mark, uh, Mark's gospel is based on Peter's preaching, teaching, ministry, and definitely the, the ambition, the, the command the proclamation. I'm using the word ambition because God put that in his heart. God put that in him. This is what I want you to do. And it definitely inspired Paul. It shocked. It shocked the uh, the Hebrew Christians, those who were in Judea, that I'm sure there was a lot of argument. I'm sure there was a horror in, uh, in, in, the, in the minds and hearts of... Uh, Jewish Christians, that Gentiles, Gentiles are going to have access to this. And it brought a lot of arguments because later on there were questions over Jewish custom like kosher laws, purification laws, 
And God was using St. Peter and St. Paul as a conduit to bring the gospel and also to change the culture to change this attitude because a lot of a lot of things that Jesus especially what it does what you eat doesn't make you unclean it what comes out of your heart it's a new form of what makes you kosher holiness in the heart makes you kosher and what's non-kosher is what comes out of the heart what comes out of your 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 imagination what comes out of your your sinful behavior is what makes you unkosher unclean and so that's that's an important thing i don't want to dwell too long but we gotta uh i want to continue um so marcus is the latinized version and so it's obvious okay the dating of the gospel okay we're going to go into the dating of mark's gospel Two factors suggest that Mark completed his gospel before A.D. 70. I believe that myself personally, yes. I said last week somewhere between A.D. 63 and 65 um, because we got to put it around the possibility of the time of the martyrdom of St. Peter and St. Paul in Rome. Within a generation of the events to record first, the gospel itself points, to, uh, points us in this direction. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus prophesies the imminent destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. This was fulfilled in AD 70 when the Romans violently destroyed the holy city. Mark, however, makes no mention of this as, pa as a past event, nor does he give detailed information about the catastrophe that would indicate he was writing after the fact. Second, Prominent in traditions in the early church date Mark's gospel in the 60s AD or even earlier, both a second century document called the Anti Mark Markonite, uh, okay, and Aaron uh, uh, Prologue uh, and Irenaeus around 180 state that Mark wrote soon after Peter's martyrdom, a tradition that still allow, uh, allows for a date in the late 60s. Clement of Alexandria, around AD 200, on the other hand, maintains that Mark wrote his gospel before Peter's death. Still another witness, Eusebius, AD 340, fixes a date for Mark's during the reign of the Emperor Claudius between AD 41 and 54, although these varying traditions make it impossible for us to assign an exact date for the gospel they together suggest that mark published his work sometime before a.d 70. well um i think again i don't think it's something that god wants us to dwell on you see the problem is is the modernism the modernism uh of, uh, of today, the philosophy of modernism wants to discredit the Gospels. Uh, modern thinking does not want us to to be rooted in the traditions of apostolic history. It wants us to break away. It has a disdain, a hatred for the ancient. Uh, modernism wants to raise up man as 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 some as as something enlightened and doesn't need the past and doesn't need to live in the past and doesn't need god 
And there's all, and the thing is, there's different camps of martyrs because they can't really, um, they don't want to expose their prejudice and their biasness towards holiness, and yet they do. And this is something you can't, you can't fight faith. You can't fight God. And anyway, I don't want to dwell on this one because we got to move on to, uh, you know, uh, detailing and breaking up, uh, the gospel. To, so we can understand where it's coming from. So we know now that it's rooted in St. Peter, who himself is rooted in, in Jesus Christ and who himself received, especially that vision. That's another thing I want to focus on. I want to focus on another verse that inspired Peter to go to the house of the Romans. Hold on. This is going back earlier to chapter 10, Okay. Um, Peter and Cornelius. Okay. Chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his, with all his, his household and gave alms liberally to the people and prayed constantly to God. About the ninth hour of the day, the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those that waited on him. And having related everything to, to them, he, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and coming near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and he became hungry and desired something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heaven opened and something descending like a great sheet let down by four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is co common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision, what the vision which he had seen might mean, behold, the men that were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood before the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there 
And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a, by the, by a holy angel to send forth sent for you to come to the, his house and to hear what you have to say. So he called them to be his guests. The next day he rose and went off with them, and some of the, the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on, on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his kinsmen and close friends. When Peter entered Cornelius, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found them, found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit any one of of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was keeping the ninth hour of prayer in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright apparel, saying, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for a man for um, for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the seaside. So I sent to you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here, present in the sight of God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. There you go. That's the root of it right there. That's the inspiration. And that is also, it's in Caesarea Philippi. Where did Simon have his name changed, uh, his new name given to him? Simon Peter in Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus asked the great famous question, who do men say that I am? And many of them said, some of you, some said you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some even say you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And then he asked the question, but who do you say that I am? And none of the apostles, none of them would answer the question, except for Simon, son of Jonah. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then he changed his name to Peter, or gave his name, his new name, Peter, meaning rock. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And then gave him the keys of the kingdom of heaven to bind and loosen. It's not an accident. Simon understands, understood at that time he connected all the dots. All right. Caesarea Philippi was a Gentile, mainly a Gentile city, built by Herod Antipas or Herod, uh, Herod uh, Philip, son of Herod, actually, not Herod Antipas, Herod, Philip. Um, 
Herod Antipas actually took his divorced wife, Herodias, I believe. But the point is, it was the gateway for the gospel to go out to the Roman Empire. And Peter was the foundation stone, that rock, to begin a new, a whole new Gentile culture rooted in the Jewish faith of the God. Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The covenant made to Abraham. Everything was rooted was rooted in the word of God. Now, yes, there were going to be Hellenistic Jews that were not going to be happy about this, that were actually going to be very troubled about it. But all this, the reason why I wanted to do it, I wanted to review it, there was so much that we we could we could scratch this. We barely can scratch the surface. Now, once the Holy Spirit comes down on someone, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, anoints he consecrated these Gentiles. You can't call them common. All right. They are now set aside, made holy for the Lord, for God. And this is what Jesus Christ wanted. And Simon Peter had to be the one that had to start it. Paul just followed in his footsteps. And then, of course, the controversy. Should they be circumcised? Should they practice uh, uh, kosher laws? All that... Uh, was eventually going to split the two cultures. You know, it you know it's very hard to accept something and change, and where your own identity could wind up being swallowed. Right? For Jews, as it was a very difficult thing to accept. All right, let's move on. So, next, obviously, we're going to focus on the name of Jesus. Uh, rooted uh, ours we get technically pretty much from the English Latinized and then of course it's rooted in the Greek Iesus uh, um, and then of course the he original Hebrew Yeshua which means God is Savior or God saves and that's important now one of the interesting things is that we focused on the word gospel earlier and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, uh, Joshua in the Old Testament was the one who brought them into the promised land. So God the Savior, the God who saves, the God who uh, brings good news of liberty, good news of freedom, freedom from sin. Jesus Christ, Jesus himself, Jesus of Nazareth. This is his good news. This is his mission. And he is God, the Savior. The good news is that God is our Savior. Who will save us from sin, from death, all right, from, uh, from captivity to the devil, all right, who will lead us out of the wilderness that we've been wandering in in our sins, okay, and, and will deliver us into 
the land of salvation, the land of milk of honey, the sweetness of God, the healthiness of, of, of God's salvation, to, to live in the bask in his presence. That's the whole purpose of it. Like we just said earlier, what I said previously, the start of the podcast, what, you know, what salvation is, what good news is. The good news is that God is come to save us himself. And in the anointed person, the anointed person, the anointed person of Jesus of Nazareth, God the Savior, God the Creator, came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, in Jesus of Nazareth, to be our Savior. Christ, the anointed one, one who was set apart for this one mission, consecrated and set apart, born for this one mission, is, is the God who's going to save us. Now, um, interesting, he's the son of God. He is immortal. He is divine. He's not just a mere human being. No, he is God. He is a man. He is also God. He's flesh and blood like us, but he is God. He's not just a mere creature. No, he's not like you and me in a sense. He's human in every, in every possible way, but he is, but he's, he is a, a human being who is, who is, who basically is made, is born for this one channel to be a savior, to deliver us from our captivity in as, as prisoner of the devil and liberates us, takes us out of that, of, of this captivity. And that's the wonderful good news. Um, now we focus, <clears throat> we go back to the beginning of that verse beginning they obviously you get the fact that he is uh he's always existed you see remember genesis starts it starts with in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth well for material things for the material world the source of the beginning is in the in god and you notice how mark begins in the beginning it's modeled under, uh, modeled after Genesis. You go to Matthew, the first gospel, which tradition says was written to the Hebrews. Usually some translations might begin with, in the, the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Matthew, his alpha beginning is obviously it is rooted in Abraham, but he roots it first. He starts first with the son of David. And then he goes into the son of Abraham. Now Luke, Luke decides to focus more on an, an historical narrative. But when he gets to the genealogy of Jesus, he ends, he goes backwards and ends with the first human being, which is Adam, who was created by God, son of God. That particular Adam who fell. So he's clearly saying that Jesus is the new Adam. But 
Then John begins with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John clearly wanted to show that Jesus was not just some someone who you could physically see and touch, that he was just he was much more, that he was divine in origin, something that is always was there and and always will be there and it will always and was always much more that there that he is eternal. He is the Logos, the Word, the source of all things that exist and gives shape and meaning and form to everything, to everything, to all life. And that he will always be something more. And this is something that is, he's the Alpha, because later on, John writes his his book of Revelation, or you know, the Apocalypse, and he clearly identifies Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega. He uses Greek terminology to express his eternalness, eternalness, his his um, divinity that is beyond mere comprehension, something more. Like you know, he uses Greek words like the Logos, the Logos to the Greeks was the divine source of everything. And that didn't contradict that does not contradict Jewish thinking. As a matter of fact, Greek words help to express it even more. And that's and, and you can see there is something rooted in this is all rooted in apostolic teaching. Peter Mark's gospel was all expressing Peter's oral teaching of who about Jesus and Jesus is something more that you can see feel and touch Jesus Jesus Christ is something far more and the word beginning in is rooted in Peter's te- uh, preaching is rooted in you can see it it's rooted in a basic apostolic understanding or preaching a tradition and they all agreed that Jesus was something more and that he was always there from the beginning and this this brought it out more this made it more uh, expressible especially when they went out to the when they had to go out to the Gentile world they needed something something to help something to use and they and obviously this was this was it they had to go beyond um beyond the jewish roots but not leaving behind jewish theology but finding new finding new accessibilities to express it and this is this is it all right let's move on uh from there all right, <clears throat> but the Son of God part, and also it's also rooted in Son of Man. It's clearly these are divine words and divine titles, and um, remember, I I told you that I come from a Muslim background, 
Now, the best way I can say it is, it's some cultures, especially like Judaism, probably back then, of course, they were expecting a Messiah. But did they expect the Messiah to come as a human being? Probably not. Um, the Pharisees had control of the synagogues. They were a sect and they were different orders of them. They were probably not just one unified Pharisees. They were probably all came under Judaism, but they all had various teaching methods and they were probably at different various degrees of school of thought, of teaching style. And they all focused on a, um, uh, a style of interpretation. Let's put it this way. It's like you have in the center, you have the word of God, the Bible, right? In Judaism, the, the Pharisees created a fence and that fence was interpretation, oral tradition. Um, they had an oral law, like how, like how far can you carry a cup of water, right? Or how far can you carry a plate of food to your grandmother or grandfather who lived maybe just a few blocks down, whatever, let's say in your village. And how far can um, you take your cow or your donkey to water, to water them on the Sabbath? Things like that. It's, it sounds ridiculous, but they dominated that. They dominated that and they, they, <laughs> they annoyed Jesus. Let's put it this way. Jesus comes along and he calls them out on it. He calls them out on these um, on, on, on this and he tells them you made it difficult for people to live to have access to salvation because of their their ridiculous interpretations their ridiculous laws okay so here comes someone who even goes further he heals on the Sabbath he preaches with authority um, he performs miracles. He forgives sins. And his opponents are shocked and horrified. How does, you know, how does this happen? So the son of man and son of God are, you, are really, in a sense, one and the same thing. Except when, let's put it this way. Christ, this is, we're still focusing on the word Christ anointed one a prophet is consecrated and anointed even in the book of judges someone like samson was consecrated and anointed abraham himself was consecrated and anointed he received a blessing from melchizedek and clearly he you know the title uh, the ability to consec uh, to um, perform a sacrifice which was the bread and wine, which came from God, uh, from God given to Adam. And then because of our sins, it, we, humanity couldn't give the, that sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice of bread and wine. 
it was then replaced with a blood sacrifice, the sacrifice of animals. Now, clearly, um, Abraham was anointed. Isaac was anointed. Jacob was an anointed one. Joseph, who went into Egypt, sold by his brothers into slavery, was an anointed one. He became a channel of salvation and he became a type picture of Christ. Suddenly he, he was prime minister of Egypt and Egypt had all the grain, all the bread, kind of a symbol of the gospel, symbol of the word of God. Clearly something, he was a picture of a Christ-like figure. He died and he resurrected, not literally, but he re resurrected as, and they couldn't recognize him in his Egyptian attire. They threw him into a pit, which was a symbol of, of crucifixion and death. And then they sold him to Ishmaelites, a picture of Judas selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Pretty fantastic when you think about it. So he was an anointed one by God. He was their savior. And he came, he had access to all the bread, which was a symbol of the gospel. Type figures in the Old Testament. So, but for Jesus, son of David, is clearly also rooted in the term son of man, which are divine titles, a figure, a person, an individual who was before the foundations of the world came to the one who stood on the throne, which was obviously God himself. God stood before God. And then God gave all authority and power and dominion to the, to the one who stood before him, the son of man in the book of Daniel. So then suddenly son of God, the son, Jesus always says, I come to do my father's will. I come to preach the, the my father's kingdom. Um, the, the son, the son is always working and the father is working even on the Sabbath. Shocking. This is it. This, the son of God is God and he is Lord of the Sabbath. He also has the authority and power to forgive sins and all dominion and authority and powers and peoples worship him. Jesus Christ is God. Son of God is God. Okay, let's move on. Okay, so the title of son of God is in Mark's gospel is the predominant title which is basically based on Simon Peter's uh, preaching because uh, he declared remember you are the Christ the son of the living God and that has always been part of I think you can say St. Peter's teaching and doctrine since that was a a um, encounter moment, you can say, in Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus asked, "Who do you say that I am?" and he answered, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." So he 
had an encounter with God the Father. And this encounter was over the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Remember also, we also have the image, the uh, transfiguration on the mountain. And this is a, a very important part in St. Peter's uh, letter, one of his letters. Uh, let's pull that up. This is in uh, St. Peter's uh, second letter, starting uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 16. <clears throat> I witness of Christ's glory. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word made more sure. You will do well to pay attention to this, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So these are, these are things that had shaped his theology. It shaped his understanding of who Jesus is. Um, I mean, think about it. He met Jesus when he was fishing. And the minute he encountered this man who caused all the, all the fish to appear on his boat, his first response, his first um, reaction was to confess that he was a sinner, that he didn't deserve this, this person to reveal himself to him. And at Caesarea Philippi, something happened. Something happened, an encounter, a revelation. And I believe that that revelation has something to do with the transfiguration. The transfiguration, he saw more. The pages or the veil he saw a mystery and a mystery and a mystery. And the person of Jesus just became more fantastic, more, more awesome. Uh, and his faith was grounded even more. So the son of God is rooted in Simon Peter's encounter with the reality of who Jesus is, Jesus of Nazareth is. And it fed his faith, it um, secured 
the foundation of his faith. And it, it's, it definitely opened wide and pointed the direction he's supposed to go. I mean, even after that horrible failure when he denied him three times the night of his arrest, Simon Peter didn't go and hang himself. He went ahead and he repented. Remember that incident that, you know, back in Galilee, what did he do? He jumped in the water as soon as he found out it was the Lord and swam ashore. And he was pulling the ship, uh, pulling the nets that caught all the fish, signifying his, his mission to be the fisher of men, to, to bring souls to Christ. The net is the gospel. The net is um, his mission, his ministry, to bring back catches of people. And then that incident, uh, you know, when the Lord took him aside and asked him three times, do you love me? Remember, in that incident, he yeah he was asked three times that was the person of the trinity the three persons the father the son and holy spirit then he was given a prophecy of how what mar what death he would glorify god as john put it <laughs> it's fantastic i mean his faith was grounded and cemented even more the foundation was more grounded you know, more uh, made more assert uh, a fortified fortress, and this is something we have to understand. We have to live with. We have to grow. Our responsibility as, as Christians to live is to grow more and to make sure our faith is a fortified fortress, and that fortified fortress grew. The outer expression is the Catholic faith. So. Um, let's, let's now move on to the next verse. Okay. The next verse itself. Let's move on to there. Oh, what? Actually, I'm sorry. There is one thing I want to read. It's from the catechism. Sorry about this. Um, here it is. It's chapter two, uh, article 422, the good news. God sent his son. But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. This is the gospel of, Je of Jesus Christ, the son of God. God has visited his people. He has fulfilled the promise he made to Abraham and his descendants. He acted far beyond all expectation he sent his own beloved son. So that I think that was necessary. It also was in a footnote um, by the Ignatius um, Bible study on St. Mark. I wanted to read that. So it's something that's article 422 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. All right, let's move on. Okay, before we go further... Uh, these are the verses you should write down. Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. 
Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. <clears throat> okay? All right. In verse 2 of St. Mark's Gospel. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare your way. The, one, uh, the voice of crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Let me see if I wrote that right, I hope. Okay. As it, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare your way. Actually, we're going into verse 3. So it's verse 2 and 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Okay, so automatically we got these two verses uh, in Mark's gospel. And we got these three uh, scripture passages. Okay, uh, Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And the commentaries that I've, uh, so far, several commentaries point to that it's not unusual uh, for the Holy Spirit to inspire uh, the evangelists or prophets or uh, in the in the Gospels, to take verses and pull, uh, to find them, uh, sift through the the scriptures, and these verses, the Holy Spirit reveals, all speak of the one and the same prophecy. So the Gospel writers, as you're going to see, are going to sort of mold them together because of the unity the unity that goes through them, the coherence that goes through them, the, the, the revelation that's speaking through them. Um, yes, yeah, so here, okay, Mark outlines the mission of John and Jesus by, spl by splicing together three Old Testament passages. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, Exodus chapter three, 23, verse 20, and Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. The Exodus passage recalls how Yahweh appointed a messenger, an angel, to lead Israel from the slavery of Egypt to the safety of the promised land. Isaiah projects this memory from the distant past into the future, announcing that both Israel and the nations will experience a new Exodus in the messianic age the preparations are in order for a new deliverer the suffering servant who will bring the nations from the darkness of sin and idolatry to the light of mount zion malachi's oracle presents the dark side of this scenario warning jerusalem that the coming of the messianic lord will mean disaster if the shepherds of Israel are unprepared to welcome his arrival. For Mark, for St. Mark, this these passages are linked together by a common call to prepare the way of the Lord. John is the John the Baptist is the herald who who points out the way 
point, points out the way of this new exodus while Jesus is the Lord and suffering servant whom accomplishes it. This is the only time Mark quotes directly from the Old Testament as the gospel narrator. See note on uh, chapter 8 verse uh, on Mark 8 verse 27 and 10 verses 52. All right, we'll look at that later. So let's look into these passages. Okay. Okay. Um, Exodus chapter 23 verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place which I have prepared. That's the verse right there. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place which I have prepared. Okay, we can read it without saying angel. Behold, I send my messenger before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place which I have prepared. You got to remember that the gospel writers, when they quoted the scriptures uh, of the Old Testament, it was from the Subduagent, the Greek version. So this is the verse here. Okay, I'll read the whole thing. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare your way. Okay? So that's that's that verse that we that's quoted, that's pulled out of uh Exodus. But instead of saying angel, angelic uh being, it's saying messenger. So John is the messenger of the new covenant. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean an angelic being such as Gabriel or Michael or Raphael. But in this case, it's referring directly to John, son of Zechariah, that he is the messenger, the herald of the new covenant. Okay, so that's that one verse. So now we're going to go look for, um, we're going to go look for Isaiah. Isaiah has the bulk of the of these verses that in a sense that's very familiar to us that we tend to hear during Easter. So I'm going to read most of it. Uh, Isaiah 40, verse 1 to 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God, speaks tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice, this is the familiar part, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his... Sorry, there was a little bit of a noise outside. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert his way for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. 
for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's the most familiar one. We tend to hear that during around around Lent. It tends to be read. Um, sometimes it's even read for, like, I think John the Baptist, his memorial, right? It's, it's the most familiar verse that we tend to hear. And that right there is uh, Isaiah. Now let's go to Malachi. Okay, here he is, Malachi, the coming messenger, chapter 3. All right. Behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me. And this is God talking in the first person. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? And I'll read, uh, I'll read it down to to I'll read a little further for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap he will sit as a refiner and purify and purifier of silver he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver till they present right offerings to the Lord then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the day of days of old, as in the former years. They, you know, that's, that's the, then it goes on here. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hirelings in his wages, the widow and the orphan, against those who trust, who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. These are these are the things we hear during uh, sometimes Lent, the readings. So, this is the um, those are the parts that you heard, the smaller parts that is weaved together, come together to. To describe the herald of John the Baptist, when Jesus appears, the Messiah appears. Look for the one that forfeits the one who who will announce him, like a herald announcing the coming of a king, the king's return or the king's arrival. So those verses were taken. Out of uh, out of their their uh, their prophets' mouths, and they were weaved together by the apostles because of the under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to show that they're all speaking of this particular event of the herald of the Messiah. And John was the one who came. Who knows how how long he was out there before Jesus finally decided to step forward and be baptized. John announced him as the Lamb of God. Lamb of God. And uh, Lord of the Sabbath, Son of Man, were these titles that were divine titles. Now, Jesus' opponents, the Pharisees, 
um, there, well, they were first confronting, obviously, John the Baptist, and we saw what happened. Uh, they didn't like being challenged. Their authority was was very important to them. Their influence and their hold on the synagogue was very important to them. So we now we moved out. We moved down to the verses. So it's we moved from verse one, two, and three. All right. Let's go back and read a little bit more. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Okay. Then we investigated that part, um, 2 and 3 of John of Mark's Gospel, St. Mark's Gospel, uh, Exodus 23 verse 20 Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 okay so now we're going to go move on a little further but let's read that whole uh, let's cover up the whole paragraph now alright let's read the whole thing again the gospel according to St. Mark the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And there went out to him all the country of Judea and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay, so we're going to end it here. All right. Um, I think we... We did quite a lot. This podcast got long enough as it is, and we'll get back. This will uh, give us uh, uh, time to get back and to uh, continue from uh, from where we're leaving off. So I'm going to read the closing uh, prayer here uh, after Bi after Bible study. Okay, and uh, here it is. Okay. Let me not, O Lord, be puffed up with worldly wisdom which passes away, but grant me that love which never uh, fades away, so that I may not choose to know anything but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I beseech you, O loving, sweet, loving Jesus, 
I beseech you, O loving, sweet Jesus, that as you have graciously given me the grace to drink in with delight the words of your knowledge, so mercifully grant me to attain one day in you the fountain of all wisdom and to appear before thy face your grace, your love, and your strength and your mercy, Lord. May I one day attain it. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Okay, so um, I think we made some interesting progress. Um, Bible study is something you got to take your time. And trust me, I know because I had to take my time to prepare to look at the verses and um, read the commentaries. Okay, so uh, God bless and hopefully, God willing, I'll be back soon. Okay, have a safe week.